Hello, party people. Hey, sleepy readers. Hey, sleepy readers. <laughs> Howdy, folks. What what books have you guys been reading lately? Anything good? I have. <laughs> I have too. I've been on a roll. <laughs> I I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm not 100% positive. But I think I'm Marissa. And I think that would make me Eliza. And that means that this must be <laughs> the little sleep. Much reading podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up. And he went completely out of his mind. Today we have a fun episode for spooky season. We're talking about (laughs) psychological horror. Did we even share the fact that every week this month, for the month of October, is going to be spooky? I don't know, but it's going to be. It is a little silly, too, when you think about it, because I think that the whole podcast might be a little spooky because you and I are very we're not very good at reading non spooky books. No, if there's one thing I don't like, it's a funny book. Oh, my God. I agree. I feel like they just try so hard and I'm like, okay. (laughs) I I hate also um, I don't like when books have happy endings. (laughs) not very realistic is it (laughs) like it makes me really mad but I'm actually reading like a normal like I'm reading normal people and I really like it and I think the form is really cool but it's like the most regular like it's just straight up adult literary fiction but I mean they're kind of teenagers and it's kind of a romance but it's like a sad romance it's not you know fun but I'm like this is this is sad this is a change for me I'm so used to reading about goblins and ghouls and murders Wow, look at you go, Liza. Yeah, normal people, normal people things. I mean, aside from the spooky books, I've been reading Harry Potter, but you know, still kind of spooky. Yeah, that's still like the OG. Dark. Yeah. <laughs> um. Wait, did we say? I don't think we did. Oh, no, oh, we did. We did said we? we're doing psych horror, but we're we doing didn't... psych horror. <laughs> did, we didn't say what we were reading. Um, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather today, so I just think that my brain is other places. So if I repeat myself, if I don't know what I'm saying, if I don't know what just happened, that's why. That's why, loves. So as we said, we're doing psych horror, and I'm reviewing uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reid. And I'm reviewing We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Two fantastic books truly so I think how this episode's going to work today is we're both going to review our books and then we're going to talk a little bit about psych horror and you know apply it to what we've read and see if we learn anything yeah it's good to learn it's a, it's a lesson let's let's get into it just so everyone knows as a heads up we did make a little change to our scale And so we split up form and stylization into two separate groups. So now we have language and style and then form. And the form category could be totally 
uh, thrown out the window if the book is not doing anything with that. And that's mm-hmm. a-okay. But with that being said, now we can focus more on the style and the language and the writing and all that fun stuff. And then if we have to talk about form, it's a little added thing. You guys get a little bonus. And I don't know about Liza, but I'll be talking about it today. Let's get into it. So I'm Thinking of Ending Things was published in 2016. It's not Ian's first book. He has written two nonfiction books before he did this book. But this is his first fiction book. And I'm honestly blown away by it. I think it's so good. Was the movie great? Yeah, it was. Um, If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It came out in 2020 and it was directed by Charlie Kaufman. And if you know anything about Charlie Kaufman, he's a little strange. Um, so this book was probably right up his directing alley. But don't think that just because you watch the movie, you understand the book. The endings are quite different. My experience with this book is that I watched the movie about a year ago. And then I was like, I don't understand what I just watched. So I have to read the book. And I bought the book and I read it in March or February last year. And I was like, I still don't get what just happened. So I had to do a little bit of research. And then I was like, oh, it all makes sense. So everyone read the book. Don't think that the movie's going to give you anything. It doesn't. It makes you more confused in my opinion. So read the book. And here we go. I'm going to say a little summary about my book. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to read kind of what the book says because like major spoilers with this book and I don't want to accidentally spoil anything. So I'm going to put my trust in the book. For one, there is no, at least on the back of my book, there's not a summary on the back. All it says is you will be scared, but you won't know why which is just freaky in and of itself. But there is a little summary in the book. They're like book club pages, which I love. Um, And so it says, as I'm thinking of ending things begins, Jake and his girlfriend are driving to meet his parents on their secluded farm, but things aren't what they seem. For one thing, as the girlfriend's narration begins, she announces that she's thinking of ending things leaving the reader to wonder why she is making the visit in the first place. The visit itself is unsettling to say the least, and when Jake makes an unexpected detour leaving his girlfriend stranded, what comes next is a twisted mix of palpable tension, psychological frailty, and sheer terror. Super duper interesting. Much to look forward to with that. So for readability, I gave this book a seven, particularly talking about the first time I read it back in March. It was a really steady read for me. I was in class at the time, so I was only letting myself read a few chapters a night, which I think I would have ended up doing whether I was in class or not. Um, I I did look forward to reading it every night because I enjoyed it, but I didn't zoom right through it. And I was happy to have breaks so that my brain could go over what I just read and analyze it, and even just have a break from the really unsettling parts. So seven for that. 
this is definitely a book that you, could you read it in one day? Absolutely. Do I think you might want to take some breaks? I think you might. So for language and style, I give this a six. The writing's super clean. I think it was delicately crafted. I will say with Ray Bradbury, you could sort of pick out things that he's doing and dissect what he's doing. But Ian Reed, his style's not exactly like that. It seems very ordinary, very casual, which I appreciate for this book. His style is possibly what is the most unsettling thing for me about this book. It's intense. He has these almost scientific or philosophical lines that get really, really profound, but they're still so plain and they're in the weirdest places. So when the couple get to Jake's parents' house, the girlfriend has a very interesting observation or thought in the middle of this really, I don't know, weird setting So I'm going to read that real quick. Seeing someone with their parents is a tangible reminder that we're all composites. That's just such a strange thing to think of so suddenly. And you also have to remember, apart from all of the very strange stuff that Ian Reid is doing in this book, the basic plot is also just really unsettling. Um, This couple has only been dating for a month and a half, maybe. And he's already taking her to meet his parents. Like, that is so friggin' awkward. If I was with a boy and he was like, "Mm, you know what? I think it's time uh, that you meet my parents. And we had only been dating for a month and a half. I would be like, I think it's time for you to take a hike because, (laughs) heck, no. There was another part that I really wanted to read. Oh, here it is. At the end of page 192. So this is at the height of a very intense moment in the book. And this, the main character, the girlfriend, again, suddenly has this very strange um, and profound thought. What's a day, a night? There's grace in doing the right thing and making a human decision. We always have the choice. Every day, we all do. For as long as we live, we always have the choice. Everyone we meet in our life has the same choice to consider over and over. We can try to ignore it, but there's only one question for us all. What? It's very interesting. There's a lot of just beautiful thoughts like that throughout the book. And I'm sure many people would argue that that's just simply the nature of the book. But I think without having read any of Ian's other things. I think that that's simply just the the way that he writes. I think that's part of his style, just throwing in these really brilliant thoughts that almost, they don't exactly take you out of the reading, but they kind of stop you for a minute and you're like, what is going on here? Um, I think it really confuses the reader just enough for Ian to hide details for your second and third and fourth and fifth read. So as I said, this book does have form. And so for form, I rated it a six. The chapters are alternating between Jake and his girlfriend and two police detectives discussing a case. It's kind of, in a way, front and back story with a focus mainly on back, which in my opinion is interesting. And this alternating between 
the main character and the police. It's not exactly new, but um, I think that it works really well in this book to keep the reader confused while also feeding them little crumbs. There is something else going on here that if I said it might be a spoiler of, so I can't exactly say what it is, but there is also something else going on here that I think could be considered form, but could also be argued that it's not form. I know that sounds confusing, but if you read the book, I think you'll know what I mean. Um, And so for that altogether, I gave it a six. Very impressive, this book. So shelf-worthy, I think this is an eight or a nine, simply because if you buy this book, you could read it over and over and over and over and over. The first time you read it, I would say it reads more like contemporary horror or maybe even a thriller. But the second read presents you with a completely different book. While it's just as shocking the second time, you're now aware of what's going on and a reread allows you to piece the information together differently. And read packs in all the clues for you to pick out on future reads. It's it, Truthfully, it's not the book where you have to dig for clues. Everything is presented right in front of you. You're just never going to know what's actually happening until you reach the end and you read it again. And then you're going to be like, I read that on the first time and I was so unsettled by it. But now I read it on the second time and I'm still unsettled by it, but now I know what it means. So it's really interesting. For plot, this plot gets a nine. And again, as soon as you reach the end of the book, you're going to understand exactly why I gave it a nine. A sort of bomb is dropped of realization and the dust settles as you begin to kind of understand the many weird chunks and gears that are working together in this book. It's masterfully crafted. For characterization, I give this a seven or an eight. This was a really hard category for me to write for this book because I don't really know what's real or what should be considered real. So I think the characters are believable. I connect to them, not in a friend way, but in a reader way of being like distantly involved with characters, if that makes sense. Um, I really loved the parents. I thought that they were, I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know. I just thought that they were really interesting. And the way that he uses characters as both characters, but also plot is really smart. And so I gave it a seven to an eight. There are a couple things where I'm like, even my first read reading it, I was like, I hate that. I hate that. And this doesn't sound perfectly like this character is not speaking perfectly realistic, but it's okay. So that's really all I have on that. I would say once I have fully convinced Liza to read this book, I would love to have a further conversation about it where we could even go through the book club reading or the book club questions in the back and have a conversation where we can more deeply analyze it. Um, This is definitely a book club book. You need to like discuss this book with someone else because there are so many pieces you wouldn't even understand until you had like a fifth read of this book, maybe. And so by having more than one person read it, you're all bouncing ideas off each other and it all gets, I don't know. It just, you know, when you, when you read something and then someone's like, oh yeah. And like, this meant this. And you're like, 
oh my God, like I should have knew, like that was right in front of my face. And I didn't even know that it meant that. But now that you said it, it makes so much sense. This is one of those books, I think. So um, everyone go spam Liza's (laughs) social media accounts and tell her that she has to read this book so that we can do another episode on it in season two, fully analyzing it some more. And that's all I got to say about that. So I'm going to toss it over to Miss Liza. Do you think I should refrain? So I've never, to preface this, I've, se- I've seen the movie, like I haven't watched it, but like every time I, you know, it was, everybody was watching it at some point, whenever it came out, I feel like it was really popular. And you do always see it um, on like articles or TikToks, even a people being like movies that messed me up or like, whatever would you say for me and for everybody listening should we refrain from watching the movie until we read the book or is it really like two separate entities that are kind of just the movies based on the book I think it's I think it's a tough call Hmm. um if you're saying you know two separate entities and that would be like the shining level where yeah. to me the the book The Shining is like completely different than the movie The Shining. It's not there yet. This book isn't there. Um, I would say the endings are the only like big big difference. Um, aside from like normal book like details that are left out and things like that. But I feel like if you watch the movie, you're still not gonna understand. <laughs> what is happening yeah yeah um so I don't really think it would matter but I don't think you could just like watch the movie and then be like oh okay you know what I mean yes no I know exactly what you mean so I don't really think it matters okay okay well I'm gonna read it um good so then we're gonna have to do the little book club questions in the back I loved I used to love being in school in college and we would have all read the same book and then you come to class and talk about it. And like you said, and somebody says something so profound or like, is like, oh yeah. And then you catch this detail because like that was happening a lot when we were talking about um, beloved. Mm, yeah. I vividly remember that. Um, that professor just had really interesting conversations because why does, why am I also thinking of um, reading beloved and that happening and also reading what's the book where they carry the mom's body across the country, across the river. As I Lay Dying. As I Lay Dying. When we read it the first time as sophomores. Both of those books were on the psych horror book list. I would actually classify both of those books as psych horror. Yes, but but they're not like when you first think about it, you're like, what? And then right. you think about it and you're like, no, that yeah, makes think. all the sense. Um, And the other thing about those two books is they are both ghost stories, but only one of them has a ghost in it. If we're talking about our ghost class definition of a ghost story. Yes. I would argue that I'm thinking of any things is also a ghost story. And I would argue that this is even a ghost. (laughs) Anything is a ghost story if you let it be a ghost story. Maybe not anything. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is a ghost story. (laughs) Yeah. But even like, like for anybody who's listening, normal people could be a ghost story. That is a stretch. But 
if you're loosely identifying ghosts, there's ghosts in a lot of things. You know what else I'm thinking about? What? Season two. We're going to have, I'm, I'm calling out all our friends right now. Uh, Lexi, Jessica, not Annie, because she's got to do law stuff. And <laughs> we feel bad for her on the daily. Um, May can join in. Uh, I don't have Vanita join in. I'm calling out all of our friends. Who am I missing? You know what? Psh, Parker, where you at? Where's Parker? Is he listening? Uh, sweet, sweet Zoe. Other Zoe, both Zoe's, okay. Uh, all you guys, season two, we're gonna do once a month a book club. We all have to read the same book and then we gotta come and discuss it on the podcast. That's so cute. Lindsay Lop. Lindsay, how could I forget <laughs> Lindsay? Sweet Lindsay. Um, that's cute. So that's what we gotta do. Okay. And I just called you all out so you can't say no. So they have start to. start preparing now. I'm going to start p- picking out books. Me and Liza are going to do our research. Yep, yep. Pick out books, and we'll start a group chat. And if you want to read the book that month, then you have to come and talk about it on the podcast. All those people also have to come and discuss their genre because all of those people write different genres. Yes. Some overlap, but none quite the same. So this is your, we're calling you out right now, that you will be on the podcast, whether you like it or not. Well, I'm glad that we, uh, I'm glad we've all had this discussion together. (laughs) Thanks for coming, everyone. (laughs) And uh, why don't we get into Liza's review before we go off on some other tangent and invite more friends on the podcast. All right. So I am going to be talking about We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, hero of mine, crazy, crazy lady after my own writerly heart. She was born in 1916 and met an untimely death in 1965. Mary Shelley, I feel like, is what we need to start calling the grandmother of horror and Jackson, our mother. May her memory be for a blessing. Um, We Have Always Lived in the Castle was written in 1962, just three years before her death. And it is described sometimes as a psychodrama, um, but I think people are being a little bit too particular there. And I I, I would call it psychological horror. And I'll get into that a little bit later about Jackson's specific type of horror, but it was, it's said to be informed by Shirley Jackson's own psychosis, including paranoia and agoraphobia, which I guess she was kind of experiencing at the end of her life. And the book is very uncomfortable. At times, it almost kind of feels like you can't breathe. It elicits that feeling of when your heart starts pounding really fast and you're like anatomic nervous system or whatever it's called kicks on and you don't know why like you know when you just are like I'm gonna freak out and I have no I do not recall what made me feel like this it kind of has that feeling to it so to get into a bit of a summary the story follows two sisters Mary Catherine who goes by Mary Cat and Constance um, who live with their uncle and the whole town they live in hates them the people in town are drifting somewhere between contempt um, and fear and you find out that the reason for this is because the older sister poisoned their parents with arsenic 
Um, one day, however, their cousin, whom they've never met, Charles, comes to town. And Mary Cat is very skeptical of him. She refers to him as a ghost and a demon throughout the whole book, which is just really weird. I mean, because obviously he's like, or at least we think uh, he's a real person. And so it, 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 when she starts saying that is when you're one of those things where you're like, what the hell? Um, and things kind of start to spiral from there. And it's not a spoiler to give the climax of the story, but the climax comes in the form of a house fire. And I won't say anything more from that. Like Marissa's book, this does not have a summary um, to tell you what the book is about, but it has this really interesting passage on the flaps of the book that I want to read because I think it kind of gives you a good feel for Jackson's style and kind of the premise of the book. And it says, my name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I am 18 years old and I live with my sister Constance. I have often thought that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length but I've had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself and dogs and noise. I like my sister Constance and Richard Plantagent and Amanita Phalloids, the death cup mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. You will be wondering about that sugar bowl, I imagine. Is it still in use? You are wondering, has it been cleaned? You may very well ask, was it thoroughly washed? And that's it. <laughs> that's all they give you. And I love that part about the, like that sugar bowl, them choosing to put that on the flap of the book. It's just very strange. So with that, I'll get into the scale. For readability, I gave this book a 7.5. I read this in one sitting and I'm trying to decide if I should advise that that's the way you should go about it. And I'm kind of thinking it is. Um, so it, it could take you like two hours to read, depending on how fast or slow you read. I'm a pretty slow reader and it took me like two hours. It's only a hundred and something pages. And so because of that, it kind of feels like one short story. There are chapters, but they actually kind of felt very redundant to me. I'm assuming there's only really chapters just to break it up because it's like, you know, on the longer side but it like I said like it kind of reads like a short story so you don't really need to stop and I don't really think it's a type of book like Marissa said like you could definitely read I'm thinking of ending things in one day but you might want to take breaks I would actually say this book you probably don't want to take a break if you have to of course go for it but I think you're actually better off reading it in one sitting for language I gave this book a nine and this is our new category. And that is obviously very high. Um, but if you know me, you know, I'm a huge fan of Shirley Jackson's writing. I think she is utterly bizarre, truly in the best way. Her writing can be beautiful and disturbing all at the same time. And I was trying to think of a way to describe it. And I feel like sometimes her writing kind of feels like nails on a chalkboard in a good way if that makes sense. Like, you know, when like you get that kind of chill down your spine, when you hear a noise like that, that's what Shirley Jackson's writing makes me feel like. And her dialogue is especially strange. And I'll touch on this later because I want to talk a little bit about the movie, but I think, I think the movie is actually really great and people did not seem to like it. I don't think when it came out, it's starring Sebastian Stan, Thaisa Farmiga from American Horror Story and the... <laughs> Um, Alexandria Daddario from um, Percy Jackson. 
and they're all great. And I, I don't know really why. I mean, it, it seems like people didn't like it, but the dialogue is really weird and in the book and they managed to have that come across in the movie. Um, and so I think that Shirley Jackson's dialogue is actually really well suited for the stage and it almost kind of comes across like a play. And so I think that's why the movie is so interesting because it also kind of comes off as a play um, and it's really cool. So I don't truly excellent language in this but in terms of form which is now a new category I was half inclined to not even include form in this but I I, you know I went with like a 5.5 or whatever because there's nothing interesting really happening with form it's all well and good it moves you along like um she's good at building tension I think but there's really like I said nothing interesting happening I don't even know if there needed to be chapters split up in the way that they were it's not really doing anything there for shelf worthiness I gave this book an eight so yes, it's shelf-worthy. I'm coming to find that all Shirley Jackson is pretty much shelf-worthy. Um, she's a weirdo, and I love her, and I feel like I'm always, 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 always learning from her. Um, every time I read her, no matter how many times I reread certain things, um, I have grand dreams of going to Bennington, Vermont, and hanging out with her ghost to learn from the ghost, perhaps. So <laughs> for those of you who are like me and cannot currently make it to Bennington, Vermont to um, communicate with Shirley's spirit, <laughs> definitely collect her books and learn from her that way. For a plot, I give this book an 8.5. The plot of this book is really good. And I think it's quite strange because it is so short and such a random mix of things happen and not too many things happen all at the same time um but like I said the the horror in this book which I think it is fair to call it horror although I it seems that some people would disagree but the horror in this book is truly unsettling and there are a few twists and turns including one that I kind of actually saw coming and yet when she hits you with it your jaw drops. The reveal, even though you were kind of wondering it the whole time, or at least I was, is masterfully done. And I think Shirley Jackson is kind of always doing that, uh, queen of horror that she is. And I think she really invented her own unique kind of horror that nobody, I would like to say, has quite been able to recreate. I guess I'll jump into like the movie like one more time here is that it's excellent in part because it captures that eerie feeling of this book really well. And I think Shirley Jackson's horror can be hard to translate. And, and that's why I feel like shows like The Haunting of Hill House, the TV show, um, chose solely to be inspired by her work and not do a direct adaptation of it. Um, because I feel like when we watch horror, we are hoping for jump scares and to be entertained and to be shocked and to be disturbed and what have you and with Shirley Jackson's horror it doesn't necessarily do that but I think that is also the nature of psych horror and I think a lot of Shirley Jackson's horror is psych horror and it's not intended to shock you at all but to make you really uncomfortable claustrophobic and it's sort of a kind of horror that actually I want to say like crawls underneath your skin and like makes a home there. And maybe we'll get into that a little bit later too, because like I said, I think that is the nature of psychological horror. So that's that on the, the on plot and kind of the type of horror this 
is. And for characterization, the last category, I'm also giving this an 8.5. The characters in this book are <laughs> strange. And so I don't know if we can call them likable characters, but they are incredibly built out considering how short the book is. Right off the bat, there is something just not quite right about Mary Cat. And then you meet Constance and you realize, okay, there's something not quite right about this person either. And even when you meet Charles, the cousin who, you know, didn't experience the same sort of familial trauma that these two girls and their uncle did, there's something not quite right about him either. Um, they're all just completely and utterly strange and you kind of have to read it to understand them. It can't really be described. And yet, even though they are imperfect or however you want to describe the characters, you don't necessarily relate to them or are fond of them, but they are sympathetic and you do feel bad and very uncomfortable for them. The other thing that I think I'll say about characterization that I think is really interesting is that the bond between Mary Cat and Constance, the sister bond, is incredibly strong and clear. And so I think that Jackson did a really, really good job with that. And because of that, the ending, I'm obviously not going to spoil it, but you're quite sad at the end, but also content for them in a really weird way. Um, and you have to read it to find out why. But And we'll get into this too with psychological, when we talk a little bit more about Psychora, is like, we only get to hang out with these characters for 140 pages, but they do feel really, and they don't necessarily have characterization. You know what I mean? They don't necessarily become better people or however you want to quantify characterization by the end of the book. Do they change by the end of the book? Unclear if that is even true, but like you only get to hang out with them for so long and yet they're so, I don't know, well thought out and you're kind of in their heads a little bit and Again, that's kind of the nature of psychological horror. So I'm kind of excited to talk about that with Marissa. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on We Have Always Lived in the Castle. That was a good review in the sense that, I mean, like, obviously, I think all of our reviews are, like, <laughs> stunner. Um, but that was a good review in the sense that I was often left thinking, mm -hmm. um, not just as someone who is fairly familiar with Shirley Jackson's writing um you know and just thinking about what I know of her and how I can compare that to things that you said but also is just someone who is interested in the different types of horror um or even just writing in general I guess to just think about the way that someone crafts characters and then how people perceive them I liked that review a lot because it got my little uh my little hamster in my brain running on its wheel pretty fast. But with that being said, let's get the hamster running even faster and talk about psych horror as a genre. I read something and I... I don't know. I'm not quite sure if it is, I don't want to say true, but I don't, I'm not quite sure if I agree with it or not, but I think it's easy to give us a starting point. So this is from an article called 25 of the absolute scariest psychological horror books on bookriot.com by 
Mary Kay McBrayer, and I could also link this in the show notes, but she says, psychological horror books are not mysteries. They're not whodunits. They inspire fear through suggestion, paranoia, and implication, rather than through violence, pursuit, or even gore itself. So that's something to think about. I'm not quite sure I fully agree with it. I do like the thought of it as a starting point for this conversation. Um, I also read, this is also a quote from the same article. It says, the scariest writing to me is the kind that incepts those intrusive thoughts, the macabre punchlines that dawn when I'm waiting in line at the grocery store and see something that reminds me of the narrative, the kind that shocks me mentally, which that I actually do kind of agree with. I think there's something about psych horror that it'll come back and hit you at a really weird time. And I think that psych horror should be doing something like that, where it kind of sticks with you and punches you in the gut at a very strange but powerful time. Furthermore, into that conversation, I want to kind of talk about a few of the points that I found on like during my research um, about psych horror and kind of see how our own books that we read match up or don't match up to that. So the first thing is it says that psych horror is usually character driven over plot driven. And A, I'm wondering if that's true for our books and B, why we think that is. Um, For me, it is definitely true for my book yes it is true for my book as well why do you think it usually is like that like why do you think it works well to be plot or to be character driven over plot driven two things popped into my head while you were talking before we even said if we thought our books fell into those categories or not I guess this is like my answer one is In other kinds of horror, aka any other kind of horror, do the characters matter that much? Unclear. I feel like usually we're getting, I mean, hey, let's think about the classic, you know, slasher films, right? Or like, um, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go with that instead of book. So like Scream, right? Do, it's plot driven. And maybe I'm wrong, but like, we don't really care about, anybody in that book I mean that in that movie except for maybe Neve Campbell's character and Ski Ulrich and Matthew Lillard and it's like do we even know that much about Neve Campbell other than that I think her like parents are like never around no (laughs) but it's a really really good movie and so I'm like okay so when we think about other classic kinds of horror the plot definitely outweighs the characters in fact the characters are often even disposable, some of them, or a lot of them, especially if you're going for like a high body count horror. And then the other thing that popped in my head was being inside your own head is so scary that being inside somebody else's or whether their brains are going through the same thing as you or not is incredibly unsettling. And so I think that's, like you said, it's the kind of horror that sticks with you and it's almost perhaps the scariest kind of horror. So I think maybe that's it. Being inside your own head is so scary. Here, have some be inside somebody else's for however many pages the book is. That's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I think oftentimes in horror, the characters only matter as far as the stereotypes that they're portraying. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if we go back to Scream, I mean, Scream's kind of a hard one to talk about when it comes to stereotypes because they are kind of, I guess, making fun of traditional <laughs> slasher movies. When you have a character to identify with, there's part of you, not that you like them, but just the sense that you are identifying with them, you are connecting with them in some way. And then it makes things so much worse for you. Mm. Um, If you are actually right up in a character's head, the horror is going to be a lot worse. It seems to me like, again, I was looking at a list of the 25 best psychological horror books. And a lot of the books that I saw on that list were books that I wouldn't immediately consider to be psych horror. But then after thinking about it, I'm like, no, that's definitely psych horror. It's just that it's more this other kind of horror than it is psych horror. For example, Frankenstein was on the list, which is more monster horror than it is psych horror. But once you think about it, it is psych horror. And so with The Shining, yes, The Shining is psych horror. I would say it is more, like, I don't want to say paranormal horror, but it's more along the lines of a paranormal horror than it is a psych horror. Well, and that is in part, right, because the manifestations of the psychosis look paranormal. No comment. Okay. (laughs) Liza, you have to read the book. I know I need to read the book because I literally am just thinking of the movie. I guess I have to read the book. (laughs) So um, do you think your book is just psych horror or do you think it's also like a double kind of horror? I actually think my book is just psych horror. I have no clue what else it even would be. I would have to hardcore agree with that. There is like a little part of my book where it gets almost slashery, but it's a very small part. But I would say my book does focus solely on psych horror. Yes. Do you think that your narrator is reliable or not? The whole kind of point of Mary Cat is that she is not. Let's go with Mary Cat is not a reliable narrator. But I don't think she would lie. She's not telling you lie. But I don't know if you should believe everything. I think you should believe everything she says. But she's an unreliable narrator. This is a hard question for this book. I would say... Okay. Have you seen The Sixth Sense? Yes. Would you say that our narrator in that is reliable or unreliable? I think he is, this is what I mean, because I think this is about Mary Cat too, is that he thinks everything that is happening is happening. Unlike some unreliable narrators who are lying to you on purpose. Right. The guy from the sixth, <laughs> Bruce Willis is not lying to you on purpose. Bruce Willis is trying his best. <laughs> He's like <laughs> trying to present you with this tea and he has not a clue. The, the, the gravity of the tea. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, the girlfriend in my book. I, I wouldn't say that she like believes everything she's saying or something like that because she she's questioning a lot. But I think that we are experiencing things accurately with her. So it, it is one of those things where I'm like, yes, but also no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Okay, what about the atmosphere in your book and more so the pacing? I think when I was doing my little review that I have on a separate app, Storygraph, um, shout out, sponsor, sponsor us. <laughs> I don't even know if they have, can do that. <laughs> um, I said it was medium paced because like I said, I got through it in like two sittings and I, not two sittings, two hours, one sitting. And I think that um, Shirley Jackson is really good at building tension, but literally not that much happens. It's like introduction, Charles comes to town, fire, and I can't say anything else, but it's like, usually when we're like talking about fast pace, we're like, boom, 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 boom. But things do happen. So I don't want to call it slow pace. So I would say medium pace, perhaps slow to start. You know, I, I would actually agree. It is said that most psych horrors are rather slow paced as opposed to fast paced things such as, again, if we're going to talk about the movie Scream, a kill happens within the first eight minutes. So that's pretty fast paced. With this book, again, I think I kind of touched on this when I talked about both the movie and the book, but the beginning part is slow because they're just driving there and they're just sitting in a car. Mm -hmm. But I would say once we get to the climax, it's like that, which I'm sure is kind of with most. Well, I can't even say most books because I would say a lot of the Harry Potter climaxes take quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But this climax goes fast. I'm sure yours does. Yes, yes. Um, at least for my book, that's not to say that once you get to the climax, you understand what's going on more or anything like that because you don't. So another thing that it says is that a lot of psych horror has to be as close to reality as possible. Mm -hmm. I would say for my book, my book is really close to reality. Again, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people have been in that weird situation of meeting your significant other's parents for the first time, and it's awkward. So I think the situation is automatically unsettling, very real, but they're just little strange things sprinkled throughout. And oftentimes they're real. For instance, right in the beginning of the book, they're driving there and they're passing all these decaying barns. And one of them that they passed, there's a brand new swing set outside. Oh, sorry. That, ew. Isn't that so strange? I hate that, Marissa, but I love it. Which like, could it happen? Yes. Yes. But also super unsettling, super weird. And so, yeah, again, I would say mine is as close to reality as it could get. And it's definitely, um, I don't know, kudos to Mr. Ian for doing it like that. I mean, nothing magical happens in this book. Um, there's definitely talk of magic. I, I, Mary Cat has grand dreams of magic. They kind of, kind of, they kind of think the girls might be witches, I think sometimes, but like not even in like a fake witch sense and like a real witch um sense everything that happens in the book could happen nothing makes it worse doesn't it like oh that's my favorite kind of horror though yeah you know totally it does make it worse but but again I think we talked about this when we talked about magical realism I'm also the kind of person who like reads Frankenstein and I'm like 
yeah, this could happen. Right. I'm always like that too. I mean, for, for a second there, I just thought of, <laughs> nobody else has read this. Well, some of you have, but I thought of like Cow Tongue Summer and, and I was like, that can't happen. But I was like, no, when I read it, I was like, of course, of course there's a cow tongue in the bathroom. <laughs> like, I'm like, right. <laughs> we're not very good. We're not the right people to make judgments on what can happen and what can't. No, <laughs> no um, anything is possible. Yeah. Um, somewhere in the book, I think when, when, when I was reading about this, it it was specifically talking about this happening with the main character or a main character who's very much um, in a spotlight in the story. But is there a relation to mental health? I'm going to say anywhere in the book. I think so. I'm not sure what I think these girls. Okay. These girls have PTSD. At least one of them has agoraphobia. Both of them have some kind of paranoia. Both of them have anxiety and maybe a few other things. Does it ever explicitly say that? No, but it's very clear. Specifically kind of the, I don't even want to say PTSD because that's like, you know, we, we you should use that for people who genuinely have PTSD. Um, but they have some trauma that they're dealing with and they definitely, and the agoraphobia, those things are wildly evident. The rest is kind of up to like, if you wanted to psychoanalyze them, I'm sure you could, I'm sure like a licensed psychologist could make a diagnosis for either of them. Otherwise it's kind of like, whether you want to think it's kind of just, oh, they're a bit strange. So my book is interesting because I would say a lot of the mental health topics or whatever kind of come in during the police sections Mm -hmm. which are usually just about one page long they're very short and so and and those are all written in dialogue and it's not like for example it's not like I still don't understand how could something like this happen he said it's not like that it's just a dash And then in italics, I still don't understand. How could something like this happen? There's no quotes or anything. It's very just boop and then boop and then boop, which is interesting in and of itself because then where exactly is this conversation taking place? Right. It's it's almost as if it's not even really being said because it's not in quotes and there's no interaction that we're seeing. It's very interesting. Some people say that this whole book is kind of about mental health and they specifically say a specific type of mental health, which I would question that a little bit. This book definitely has something with mental health going on in it and it's very interesting. Um, And then I think the last thing I want to ask is I read that Psychor asks the question, what are you afraid of becoming? And specifically what, not who. Mm-hmm. What are you afraid of becoming? Which me and Eliza talked about this a little bit, but I think you could argue that a lot of horror does that and not yes. just psych horror, but for just a talking point. When you first said that, I was like, this does not apply to my book. But on second thought, I think it might. 
And the only thing that kind of pops into my head, if it's asking, what are you afraid of becoming? Let's say it is. I think in this sense, in this book, it's like, what are you afraid of becoming? Like kind of almost like a social pariah, if that makes sense. Are you afraid of becoming so far removed from everyone else? What does that mean? What does it mean to be trapped in a place? Uh, what does it mean to watch the world keep going without you, even if you're still on this earth physically? Were you ever afraid of that to begin with? Or is the actual scary part that you would prefer that anyway? And I'm thinking about how like somebody said, a scholar said, um, you know, this book is inspired by Jackson's own psychosis and agoraphobia. And I'm almost like, is this book her worst fear? Is what happens to these girls her worst fear? Or is it everything she ever wanted? And do you feel the same way when you read it? Probably based on whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, which is a very simple way to put it. That might yeah. change, but it might frighten you. The, what happens might frighten you and you could say, oh, I can't even imagine. Or what happens, you might say, wait, that doesn't sound, I kind of don't mind that. And that's horrifying. Like I kind of relate to them and that's what's scary. My book is very similar in the sense that what are you afraid of becoming? Someone sort of removed from society and isolated in a way. Someone who's adapted to that and who is okay with it, sort of enjoys it. Yeah. And I guess thinking about, you know, Rosemary's Baby, there is another thing of you know, what are you afraid of becoming? Afraid of becoming maybe an outsider to a group that you belong to mm -hmm. or to people who you're supposed to feel familiar with. I mean, and these are just very basic and I'm just, I don't know, I'm just kind of fitting what we've said to these other books. Um, you know, if I ask that question for The Shining, the first thing that comes to my head is not, oh, I'm afraid of being, you know, trapped in away from society apart from my family you know that's not the first thing I think of but it does apply it is something interesting that both of our psych horror books have this weird disconnect to other people in almost an outside world but a strange and maybe even unhealthy connection to oneself something to definitely think about going forward totally but that's all the little psych questions I have. Beautiful. That being said, the next full episode that we will be doing is going to be a little bit exciting because we're going to have a special guest. Yay! Every time you guys hear little fingers tapping on the ivories, that's our lovely Lexi as we say almost every show <laughs> and you guys are going to hear her her voice <laughs> lovely Lexi is going to be here to talk about body horror Liza what will you be reading I am going to be reading a new book new to me and new to the world called Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder I am going to be reading a book that's very popular right now, I would say, especially on Book Talk. Hi, Book Talkers. Um, I'm going to be reading Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Bezterica, which I would say 
many people are raving about in good and strange ways. Mm-hmm. And our sweet, lovely Lexi, I don't know, should Lexi's book be a surprise or should we just say it? I was thinking the same thing. Okay, well, you know, maybe we'll just give you a hint. Lexi's book was talked about in this episode. Yes. It was. So it does classify as psych horror, but it also classifies as body horror. And if anyone can guess what it is, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'll send you a book. It's going to be a book I wrote, but I'll send it to you. <laughs> Marissa's like, and now to promote. <laughs> um, we're excited to talk body horror with you next week. And have a nice week, guys. Thanks for listening. The tea here. Superb.